welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to yet another edition of the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown, and uh, it's awesome to have you with us. Get to share another incredible triathlete story today uh, here on the podcast. And as always, uh, if you haven't left us a review or a rating yet, we'd really appreciate it. If you uh, enjoy the podcast as much as I enjoy putting them together for you, uh, if you wouldn't mind taking just a, a couple of minutes, literally, it's two minutes uh, out of your life to, to leave us a, a rating, a review. Uh, it just really helps us get in front of more and more triathletes just like you from around the globe. And uh, we want to try and help as many as we can here at the Cone Edge. Today, we're going to touch base uh, with, uh, like I said, a phenomenal athlete. Kevin Portman uh, joins us today. But before we get into Kevin's story, let's take a look at our coach's corner. <laughs> It's time for the Coach's Corner, and our coach in the spotlight today is Frank Soul of Soul Swim Solutions. If you are looking for some help with your swim stroke, I can tell you Frank is the man. He has over 20 years' experience as a premier swim tactician and triathlon coach for endurance athletes. He uses technique-driven swim coaching in uh, working with pro triathletes, Kona qualifiers, and age groupers, and easily adapts to an athlete's talents, personality, and limitations. He recognizes your abilities to maximize your swimming potential by utilizing the essential elements in his ebook the 10 b's of triathlon swimming it's definitely worthwhile checking that out frank is a usa t level 2 triathlon coach asca level 3 swim coach u.s masters swim coach certified in world open water swimming association coaching afpa certified personal trainer functional movement screening certified exercise professional and certified nutrition and wellness consultant consultant. Soul Swim Solutions offers a variety of online coaching services, including video stroke analysis with written workouts and drills to improve your swim performance and exceed your race day goals. So if the swim is your big concern, I'm telling you now, Frank Soul is your guy. Go check him out. The website to get to is soulswimsolutions.com. If you uh, want to link directly through from the Kona Edge, all you have to do is head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash coaching and you can get all the details you need there about Frank Soul. Well, we head to California now, to Oceanside, uh, on the Kona Edge, and it's a great pleasure to welcome Kevin Portman onto the podcast. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, I know it's late for you, so thanks very much for uh, being uh, willing to talk to me that late. No, it's all good. I'm an out- a night owl at the best of times, so can't complain. It's uh, yeah, I love doing these things too. So, uh, and I understand obviously with time zones, it's pretty difficult to to catch up, particularly if you're on the west coast of the states. But uh, yeah, chuff to chuff to have you on. Tell me about the the triathlon scene in Oceanside. We were talking before we started recording. Uh, Climate wise, it sounds like the perfect place to live and train. Yeah, it's you can't complain really. Uh, I mean, weather wise, it's nice and sunny all year round. It never really dips below um 50 degrees in the winter um and it never goes higher than that say mid 70s here on the coast um in the summer if you want to get some heat training you can ride inland and you can get uh some nice and warm weather but for the most part it's pretty close to perfect uh training conditions here i was gonna say that sounds horrible i don't know how you cope 
It's terrible. Don't, don't move here. It's horrible. <laughs> That's what I always say to people about where I live in Cape Town. It's a, I mean, the weather, it does get a bit windy, does get a bit wet, but it's, it's a magnificent place to live in. I just tell people it's horrible. You, you would hate it here. You wouldn't want to live here. So it sounds about the same in Oceanside, I'm, I, I guess. Probably with, uh, without as much rain. Um, if we have, well, we, we've had a, a wet winter this year, but uh, we, we moved out here uh, February of last year, and I think we had three or four days of rain uh, throughout the entire year. So um, now, I mean, if you're into swimming, biking, and running, it's it's really hard to beat, I think. It sounds uh, you like don't it's... get the altitude, but uh, you get the perfect weather all year round. It sounds like it. Kevin, tell me tell me a little bit about the, the triathlon scene in Oceanside. Is it is it pretty big? It is, yeah. Um, you do have a few uh, pros that train here. Luke McKenzie is one of them. Uh, Mike Twesley, uh, the German pro as well, is, is around here, and, and a few more. Uh, you do have some some ITU folks as well. Uh, but in general, the, the triathlon uh, theme is, is, you know, it's very competitive. Uh, even at the age group level, you have very, very strong athletes. So, it's easy to find people to to train with if you train uh, with people on a day to day basis. Let's let's take a step back to to a young Kevin Portman. Tell me a little bit about you growing up uh, sport wise. Were you were you, have you always been active? Yes, uh, born and raised in France. Um, so I was born and raised in in the Alps. So skiing is obviously uh, in the sport that comes to mind. I was put on skis when I was two or three. Um, and it was easy for me because uh, my parents lived uh, about five to ten minute drive from three to four different ski resorts. So it was easy for them to drop us off at the ski resort during the day and pick us up at night. Um, so I, I, grew, I grew up skiing and then uh, playing table tennis uh, for, for six, seven seasons. And, and that was a lot of fun. I think table tennis is underrated. Uh, it's a very, very fun sport. And and I wanted to do a team sport as well, so I played soccer, um, soccer being huge in, in France. I played for four or five years as well before moving to the States. Um, and yeah, I'm very, very active. Uh, anything sport-related, I, I enjoy doing. So, Tell me about the table tennis. Uh, I mean, people think table tennis, oh, how hard can that be? But it's pretty physically demanding. I've played a, a bit messing around, uh, nothing, nothing serious. But uh, you, you can work up pretty good sweats in a, in a game of table tennis. <laughs> I'm going to raise some eyes, eyebrows if people listen to this podcast. But yes, table tennis is underrated. It's, you know, short, movements, uh, very dynamic. Um, yeah, it's it's a good cardio exercise, actually. And I, I recall doing those uh, preseason uh, training camps and uh, being completely spent after each day. Uh, yeah, I think table tennis is one of those sports where um, – you know, people don't consider it a sport, but when you actually get involved in it uh, and, and train competitively, uh, yeah, you get a good workout out of it. So, and yeah, it, just just wish that it was a little bigger here in the States. And it's, it's good fun to play as well. Were you pretty good at it? Yeah, decent enough to, to play at a national level in France and, and picked up uh, a few sponsor, uh, sponsors here and there. And we did some tournaments in Germany and Switzerland and had a training camp in, in Germany. So, yeah, no, you, you definitely can get a lot of a lot out of playing table tennis. Um, if you play in a team, it's a team sport. And, uh, you know, it's a mental game as well, obviously, is a, a physical game to some extent. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, it's indoors, though. You, you don't get the opportunity to be outdoors and, and breathe 
uh, fresh air. So that's maybe the only downside that I can think of uh, when I think of table tennis. But definitely underrated. Definitely a lot of fun uh, to play ping pong, as some people would call it. Yeah, absolutely. T- tell me about your introduction into triathlon. Where did uh, where did your your interest in that in in the sport come from? Uh, yeah, so my really close friend in uh, New York, um, he texted me on a Thursday telling me, hey, I'm doing this sprint triathlon on Saturday. Are you interested in, in coming? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and I just bought a bike like two months before that. So I was excited to actually get to ride my bike because, you know, it's kind of hard to ride your bike in New York City uh, and, you know, in, on a safe road. So um, we went to that triathlon thing knowing nothing about swimming, biking, and running all, um, all at once. And the, I remember the race organizer telling us that there was that very sharp turn uh, at the bottom of a very steep downhill, uh, essentially that just sends you straight back up to the hill, telling us, you know, just slow down. You'll see people warning you, like, slow down. Don't be that guy. Just slow yourself down. And, of course, I was that guy who just uh, didn't really listen and uh, I didn't make the turn. Uh, <laughs> um, so I uh, ended up getting some road rash, but um, it was a blast. It was a blast just, you know, crossing the finish and getting your, your medal and, and cookies and, and pizza and, and drinks. It, it was a lot of fun just hanging out by the lake. Um, I was hooked. I didn't do that many triathlons after that, that first year. I think what, uh, when I really got the bug was um, – when I raced the New York City Triathlon the following year, um, and I raised funds for the Leukemia and Lymphoma um, Society, and uh, I did pretty okay that that day without really putting too much effort into my training. So I, I thought to myself that if I was a little more serious about the sport, I wanted to see where that would take me. So a good friend of mine uh, invited me to connect with his coach, um, and I mean it. To me, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with this coach. Um, so I, I had my first year working with a coach, and, uh, you know, things just snowballed really quickly. I bought a tri-bike and um, decided to work with another coach uh, the following year at the end of 2013. Um, and from that point on, I've been working with the same coach. Uh, he took me to Kona twice, uh, to 70.3 Worlds in Mont-Tremblant, um, and most recently took me to uh, clinch my pro card and, and win Cur Lane. So, uh, yeah, it's been a very good, very good uh, past four years going into my fifth year in, it, in a triathlon. It, it sounds like it. Tell me, tell me about that moment where you've decided, you know what, I want to take this thing seriously. And that conversation with the first coach. What, 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 I mean, when, I think a lot of people think, well, you know what, I'm okay. I don't really need a coach. But tell me your thinking. And, and you had obviously been coached table tennis. You've been coached at football. So you, you knew the benefit of having a coach. Tell me about that conversation. Yeah, there's just, you know, there's just so much going on in, in two triathlon. It doesn't take a lot to realize that, you know, just balancing the swimming, biking, and running and recovery aspect of, of training for a triathlon is – a lot to take to take on, especially if you don't know anything about the sport. And uh, I usually to be hundred percent all in when I do things, so it only made sense to me to to talk to a coach. Um, that was the only coach that I that I talked to. I didn't really do my research on you know who I should talk to and, and interview them. Essentially, um, I was sold before talking to the guy. Uh, that was my mindset: is I'm going to go in. 
uh, and do as he says. Um, and it was really good. He was a little more focused on the cycling uh, part, which is good because it, it's my favorite of the three. Uh, but it was too much focused on cycling. And I realized as my first year went on that I wasn't swimming enough or I wasn't, I wasn't running enough. So, um, you know, starting to interviewing different coaches and trying to understand their philosophy, how they approach the coaching, how they approach the different sports. And uh, it, it made sense to me to part ways with my coach because he didn't seem to be willing to, um, you know, spend more time in the pool or spend more time running. Uh, for him, the bike was because it's obviously the longest of the three. It was what was important to him. So, yeah, I mean, it was... To me, it just made sense. Uh, there's so much that we don't know, and there's a reason why people study the sport and become coaches and, and build experience. That it just made sense for me to reach out to a coach and, and work with a coach. And quite frankly, it's just there's just so much to take into account, and just you know, balancing the three plus recovery is just so much that um, even with the little experience that I have now, I would not consider doing it myself because um, I also need the accountability to someone else as well. Um, if I were to coach myself, then if I were to skip one workout, I'll be like, well, I'll just catch up tomorrow. And uh, I wouldn't have that uh, sense of accountability to someone else, um, to some, if, if that makes sense. Mm. Are, are you one of those guys that if it's on the training program, it has to get done come hell or high water? Yeah, because I, you know, I especially with my coach, um, Kevin Dennehy, he, um, I mean, he always gets me race ready. For every single race that I do, he gets me uh, uh, race ready all the time. So I, you know, we build up trust that way. And and if he's uh, prescribing a workout, then yeah, it had to be done. Uh, and yeah, I'm one of those uh, who would do everything you know he or she can to just get the work in. Especially if even if I have to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning or or get the the bike in at 10 o'clock at night, um, I would do it. Um, so yeah. Why? Why Ironman uh, as a as a distance? Uh, why, why have you chosen to go there? I mean, I, I don't know how long a, a a competitive match of table tennis takes, or uh, I mean, a, a soccer game takes ninety minutes. Why? Why Ironman? It's a, it's a lot longer. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if, if if you're putting yourself out there to swim, bike, run, and if you're paying that much money, you may as well just, just go, <laughs> you know, for the whole day. Uh, well, there, there are a few reasons. Is you know. The sport is so competitive right now that, you know, people coming with a Olympic background, they're just so much faster than me in the water and, and um, running. Uh, I can't, you know, I could compete with those guys on the bike because I, I like to think that my, the bike is my strongest, but swimming and running, I already had a disadvantage. So uh, obviously Ironman, you're, you're out there for 112 miles on the bike. And so I could uh, make up ground on, on those guys. And um just the love of the endurance um, aspect of the sport. Uh, my dad was a, a big into mountain biking, um, and I've, I've always done, you know, cycling a little bit. And, and seen my uncle, who was also a cyclist, seeing them going out there for three, four, five, six hours. So he just it just made sense. And the appeal of the Ironman, you know, watching videos of people crossing the finish, and obviously getting myself familiar with Kona. Um, I wanted to go there, so Ironman just naturally made sense to me. Let's talk about the the setting the goal when you when you've got into your first Ironman. Did you go 
No, I mean, when, when did Kona get onto the radar? Was it was it from the start that that was the goal? You're going to do what it takes, or or what was your experience in the in the sport as a whole before your first Kona? No, it wasn't the goal in my first Ironman. In fact, um, I I didn't want to jump into the Ironman distance too soon. Uh, I think there's just so much that you know my body needs to get used to in the shorter distances before jumping into into Ironman. To me, it didn't really make sense to jump straight into Ironman. I didn't want to burn bridges. I didn't want to burn myself out. So I I did a lot of uh, 70.3s and Olympic races and, and sprint races to really get myself comfortable with the whole swim, bike, run uh, ordeal. And uh, in 2014 is when I did my first Ironman in Zurich. Um, and I chose Zurich because my family... Uh, being from Avion, it was a quick drive for them to come to see me. And I wanted them to experience the Ironman uh, event as well. And uh, I beat my expectation by large. Um, and I was very surprised. I had a great day there. How, how, did you go, how did you go in that first one? And it's funny you say that because I was in Zurich in 2014 at that race as well. And I'm putting money on it. Yours was a lot quicker than mine. um expectations with my coach we we looked at the times we looked at you know my my bike and my run splits uh and i told him i was like you know like my stretch goal would be sub 10 hours close to sub 10 hours uh and he you know he said yeah i think you can do it if you have a great day i think if you're able to put it together then you'll be fine but you have to be able to pace yourself on the bike because he knows that the bike being my uh, strongest, I have a hard time pacing myself because I just want to go out there and hammer and, and thrash my legs. But I was able to pace myself, uh, you know, thanks bar meters for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got, I think I clocked in at 9.39 on that first race. And um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, this, this is cool. And then um, and a friend of mine did Ironman, uh, I think, Maryland that year, later that year, and actually won the race. And he qualified for Kona. I was like, well, I want to go to Kona too. Like, I want to I wanna be there. So my coach, we, we talked about which races we should, you know, consider and, and can we actually qualify for it. Um, but I told him, I was like, no, we, we have to do everything we can to get me race ready and competitive for, for Kona not knowing what the competition would be, and but I wanted to put everything under my control um, so that I would show up to a race uh, ready and ready to compete and potentially clinch the, the slot for Kona. So, yeah, it started with 70.3s, and then uh, Zurich was a good first experience. I think it probably would have been different if the experience wasn't that good. Um, but, yeah, things worked out for me. Yeah, I don't think if I don't think my Zurich, if if that was my first one, I don't think I would have gone back if I have to be honest. But thankfully, it wasn't my first. So, uh, and then and then the 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 decision to to turn pro and 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 get your card to to race as a professional was was it a was it a big decision? What what was the thinking behind that? And the reason I ask is because we've got a lot of age groupers who are pretty good, but the step up's pretty big from age group to 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 pro. T- tell me a little bit about the thinking there. Yeah, it's it was it definitely was a, a tough decision, but a lot tougher on me than it was on my wife, um, because um, you know you're in a spot where you're doing pretty okay at an age group age group level, um, and you're wondering what it's like to race as a pro, uh, and 
But racing as a pro, again, because my mentality is if you do something, you do it 100% or 150%, didn't really make sense to race as a pro while you have a full-time job. Um, and and my, my wife told me one day, I was like, well, you're not getting any younger, so uh, you may as well just you know give it a shot for two to three seasons and, and see how it goes. If you see improvement, then we'll reassess. Um, and that was tough because my I enjoyed my my job and and it paid well. I'm not gonna lie, it paid really well. So going from having a, a good financial stability to having relying only one one paycheck was a difficult notion. But um, we pulled the trigger in February of this year, uh, mid February of this year, and uh, so far so good. I mean, I, I always you know think to myself, what the hell am I doing? Because um, financially sometimes it's just a little difficult. Uh, you can buy all those gadgets and that you used to, you used to buy, but yeah, no, the the first four races as a pro have been uh, have gone better than uh, I expected. So um, so far so good, really. Uh, and, but it is it is a very tough decision to make. Yeah, and and you've got an Ironman win in your in your rookie season. That's that's nothing to scoff at. You must be pretty proud of it. Uh I so I won uh, Ironman Curl the Lane in 2016 as an age trooper because uh, there wasn't a pro field yeah. there. Um, and uh, to date, in my first pro season, I uh, PR'd at 3:52 uh, last weekend in Calgary. Um, so yeah, no, I think it you know it it's going well so far. We'll see how where that takes me, but it's it's so fast. And uh, I was talking to my wife about the race and. Uh, uh, the swim didn't go as planned for me, and just the, the room for error is so thin and so slim that if something goes wrong, it just messes up your entire race and your entire plan. So definitely a big, big step up from from the age group uh, world, but it's it's good. It's interesting, you know, getting getting my ass kicked. Uh, <laughs> what's what, what's been the biggest surprise in that jump? to you i mean obviously you had thought about it and you had considered all the options but what what for you has surprised you in that jump the i think it's the intensity of my training uh, volume wise it's you know i'm, I'm training for 70.3 and it's about the ironman volume that i did last year when i was working full-time but the intensity is such that i'm i haven't found the right balance between training and, and uh, recovering and I find myself tired a lot, uh, constantly tired. Um, so I have yet to, you know, try to adjust to that because if I want to jump back into the arm in training, then I can't even imagine going into that, uh, not being able to recover um, properly. So I think the, from a training perspective, it's the uh, intensity of the day-to-day uh, training load. I think from a race perspective, I, I expected that level and the gap, the gap is huge. I'm not going to lie. The gap is, is big, but you know, you've got to realize that you're racing people that have 15 plus years of experience at the top level. You know, the, the Kinley of this world and the Ferdino of this world didn't get there um, by chance. You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours put in. So it's, it's hard to compete with those guys, but you know, hard work and commitment. We'll see where that's going to take me in in two to three seasons, and uh, we'll just reassess there then. And and yeah, we'll see. But 
Yeah, I think the the gap, I expected it to be big. Uh, I think if you go in thinking that you're going to be competitive from a grouper to, uh, into the, the pro field, it's a little uh, presumptuous. Uh, you need to be uh, willing to accept that you'll be at the bottom of the pack. Um, and that's fine. It's it's part of the experience, part of the learning experience, learning curve. It must be it must be tough though, coming from a, a very competitive age group uh, background, where you'll you'll go to a race and you there's a good chance you're going to be on the top step of the podium, and you you get used to that feeling of of winning and believing you're good enough, and then you get thrown in the deep end with the pros, and uh, it's not that easy. Is that something you've struggled with? Yeah, I mean I, I can't deny it. Yeah, uh, but that's because I'm a competitor at heart. So obviously when when you go from uh, getting on the podium uh at some races to just you know being a, a a normal pro back of the pack pro yeah it's it's difficult mentally it's difficult but i also knew going in that you know the next two to three seasons will you know it's just an adjusting period for me and then uh, if if i see that i can make progress then we'll continue and then if not then going back to your age group is it's, it's nothing bad about it so yeah it's it's definitely uh it's definitely mentally challenging, um, but the the learning experience is fantastic. Having the opportunity to to toe in the line with the likes of Kenley and and just seeing them just crushing it, it's it's very inspiring. It's I mean I I was in Calgary and and Josh Amberger just destroyed the the race completely, and seeing him run just is, I mean it's very inspiring. Hopefully one day I can get a little closer to to his level, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's a good learning experience so far. Let's talk Kona. What is in your mind? What's the secret as an age grouper to qualifying to race on the Big Island? Uh, you know, don't don't take it for to qualify uh, for Kona or to race Kona. To to qualify uh, to to get the qualifying well, spot. There there's so many so many strong age groupers out there, and, and age groupers that could race pro level. Just you know. Uh, just fine. Uh, and you never know who shows up at an Ironman race. So to, to me, the, the biggest lesson was, you know, go out and go out and do your race and have fun, but don't have, I mean, have the goal of trying to qualify for Kona, but don't have the expectation that you're going to qualify. Don't be too cocky about your, your um, abilities to qualify for Kona. You just never know who's going to show up at a race. Uh, and there's just so much that can go wrong during the race. If if you mess up your nutrition, then you're screwed for you screw up your entire race. Um, so yeah, I think being humble, going into the race, knowing that you've done the work and you're race ready, uh, but respect your competition. Uh, to me, is is one key um, lesson that that I learned. Not that I didn't respect the competition, but I, I see it was. Other people who go in are very, very confident about their abilities, and sometimes just a little too much. Um, trust the process, trust your training, and, and see how the day goes. But there is nothing wrong about missing a Kona slot if if you're third in your age group and there are only two Kona slots. Then, you know that means two people were a lot stronger than you on the day, but doesn't mean that you're not Kona worthy. So, yeah, I think that's. Uh, in the six Ironman or, five, or seven Ironman that I did is I always try to respect my competition because uh, there are some really fast people out there, very, very strong people out there. 
How much of it is belief, believing that you're good enough? Yes, you've done the work, you've done the miles in training, and on the day, just having the, I know you say not going in too cocky, but, but being confident enough knowing that you are good enough to mix it up with the best on the day. It's huge. Uh, to me, especially on, on the run portion, because you know the swim and the run are my weakest by far. So if I manage to get in, out of T2 in a good position and, and fresh enough to do the run, then uh, to me, it's my head that, that takes over. Um, and especially in Coeur d'Alene, uh, Coeur d'Alene was uh, an interesting race because I took the lead at mile 12, which is where I DNF'd at Whistler. So uh, as soon as I took the lead at uh, Coeur d'Alene, you know, my mindset was so focused on the race and so focused on not letting it go. And and I would have done anything possible, even if someone was coming down, chasing me down, I would have done everything that I could have to, to stay in the lead or stay close to the lead. Um, if, if you, negative thoughts will come during the race and, you know, highs and lows, and you probably have more lows than highs, but if, if you're able to shrug the lows and, and think about, uh, you put yourself into a situation that brings positivity, um, then I think it, it goes a long way, especially for an Ironman. When you're when you're at mile twenty on on the race, it's just there's just so much more to cover. Six miles, it's such a long distance after like eight nine hours out there. Uh, so belief is huge, um, and that's something that I've been struggling with: uh, mental, you know, confidence. Um, that's something that my wife has been like really trying to get me to work on. Um, you know, at some point it's just, it's all mental and, uh, yeah, I can do a lot more. I can do a lot better on that, on that end, but it'll come with time. It's interesting you say that because we obviously train our bodies physically to, to take on the challenge. What are some of the things you're doing to, to make yourself mentally stronger right now that, that sort of to, to get your head in that, in that game and, and in that space? Uh, a few things. So we started meditating. Um, so my my wife is starting to impose meditation on me, uh, which is good. Clear up your your headspace. Um, I I started to read books as well about you know uh, people and, and and successes and and how they actually achieve their success and and how they actually you know everybody faces uh, lows and highs and and how they actually overcome the lows and so. I try to to feed my brain with like positive experiences and, and stories that I read. Um, and when it comes to training, when I when I start struggling on the run or on the bike, uh, I really try to project myself into a race situation where I'm in the front and I'm leading the race, or maybe I'm running side by side with, with Henley. I try and put myself in. In a mental scenario where things are great, things are going well, and so I don't think about the physical pain that I'm going through. Uh, that's that's what I tend to do. Um, and obviously, I try to shut down the negativity that you know you can get. I, I try not to spend too much time on social media the race, the day, the week before the race, um, and just try to be in my own world of, of positive thinking. Um, so. If that helps, if that answers the question, that's that's what I try to do. It's a work in progress, though. It, I mean, you constantly have to work on that mental aspect, at least for me, because that's something that I'm lacking at the moment. What's the biggest life lesson that Iron Man has taught you? Uh, 
it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I'd say, um, you know, roll with the punches is probably what, uh, what Ironman taught me. And I mean, the perfect example was my DNF at Whistler. Um, I had, I had a very good training leading up to the race and, and I felt really strong. And I, I always, you know, 10 days before the race, I always start questioning myself and, and that almost, almost all the good that I've done in, in my training block is just the power of the mind and negativity can just erase most of your good training. So I went into the race, um, wanting to do well, but mentally maybe not in the right spot. And, and that translated into uh, me giving my uh, special needs bag on the bike a little too late. And the, the bag never made the, the aid station on the bike. And another rookie mistake that I made was I relied too much on my um, special, need ba- special needs bag. And when I heard that they didn't have any, um, I just, it completely messed me up. And I just, I wasn't willing to adjust uh, my behavior and, and take whatever was provided on course because I, I never trained with it. So I didn't know how my body was going to react. And it led to cramping on the bike. And at Whistler, I don't know if you know the course, but the last 25 miles are uphill. Cramped up on the bike and uh, badly cramped up on the run to a point where my glutes starting to re-tighten really up and my back seized. I just couldn't move. So mile mile twelve, I was, I was sobbing. I was, I was crying. It was miserable. Uh, worst day of my life uh, when it comes to triathlon, and and I had to to pull out of the race. Um, and you know that night, after spending two hours with the medics, uh, I just I felt good, and I was like, how can I go from being so miserable physically to being okay? Um, and my wife, you know, mentioned, you know, Cordelaine is, is a month out from, from now. So, you know, it's a possibility if you want to try to make Kona again. So I, I thought about the race, uh, of course, uh, when, when she mentioned that. And three days later, we, I signed up for the race. Uh, and I went into the training block, the very short training block, and into the race with a completely different mindset. I was maybe too focused on, on getting the Kona slot. Uh, going to Whistler, and I wanted to go to Cur Lane, still thinking about Kona, trying to qualify for Kona, but uh, most importantly, going there, having fun. Reconnecting was, you know, joy of swimming, biking, running, regardless of what the race was going to throw at me. Uh, and it wasn't a perfect race by any means, at least not what I had in mind, but, um, you know, I was able to get it out of T2 with a smile on my face, and I told myself, whatever happens, you smile uh, running out of T2. Um, and just seeing people cheering me on, seeing that I was, you know, having a time and a smile on my face, I, I felt like the crowd was a little louder when they saw me coming out of T2, and it just gave me a little boost of energy. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And currently, it's such a beautiful venue that a lot of people running through the neighborhood people were telling me you're running stronger faster so that gave me a boost boost as well but and rolling with the punches to answer your question is i think that's the biggest lesson that Ironman taught me is um there's so many things out of your control uh, just you be able to being able to deal with it is probably key 
Yeah, and, and you talk about the perfect race. I don't know if there's such a thing because of, of, of how long the, the race is that there's always going to be something that, that can go wrong and will go wrong. And, and, and like you say, just roll with the punches. You've, you've got to have a plan B. If plan B is not working, go to plan C. It's, uh, I think that's what I love about the sport as well. And I think that's what the thing is that keeps us coming back for more is because we just we, we never quite dial it in exactly the way we want it. And, and, and I think that's probably one of the big attractions to the sport Kevin it's been great catching up I want to chat about your swim bike and run uh, next time out but we'll save that for another day thanks for your time on the Cone Edge today sounds good thank you very much Brad thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Cone Edge I look forward to catching up with you again uh, in the next one from myself, Brad Brown, make sure you keep listening. We've got some uh, cool announcements coming up here on the podcast. We've got some cool stuff to give away, so make sure you stay with us. Uh, you could be a winner. That's all coming up uh, in the next few days, so make sure you stick around. Until next time, from myself, Brad Brown, it's cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for The Kona Edge.